Students in the United States and Finland participating in a new project-based learning model are not only learning more, but becoming more engaged in class. Research from Michigan State University shows Joseph Krejcik is Lappin Phillips Professor of Science Education with a faculty appointment in the MSU College of Education. He's the director of Create for STEM. That's a joint institute between the Colleges of Natural Science, Education, Engineering, and Lyman Briggs. Create's mission is to improve the teaching and learning of science and mathematics through innovation and research. He and his colleagues explain powerful early findings from their ongoing international experiment in a new book for educators, policymakers, and researchers. It's titled Learning Science, The Value of Crafting Engagement in Science Environments. And it's a pleasure to welcome Professor Krejcik to MSU today. Joe, good to see you. Uh, Thanks, Russ. It's a pleasure to be here and talking with you. Can you first tell us a little bit more about Create for STEM and its mission? What do you do there? Sure. Create for STEM, and it's an acronym, uh, and so I'm going to spell out the uh, acronym, and you have to follow along with the CREATE. So Collaborative Research for Education, Assessment, and Teaching Environments. CREATE for STEM, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. CREATE is an uh, institute that actually is funded through the provost office, through the College of Natural Science, and the College of Education. And besides those two colleges being involved, the College of Engineering as well as Lyman Briggs are also part of what CREATE's all about. And the reason why it's this four colleges is because the mission of CREATE is to improve the teaching and learning of STEM K through 16 and to do it through research. That's why it's collaborative research. And so we work together jointly the faculty in those various colleges to try to make a difference in how children learn, if it's K-12 or if it's in higher ed. We have some amazing efforts going on in our colleges of uh, natural science and engineering and Lyman Briggs really to try to improve the teaching of STEM. But we also have some wonderful K-12 project, which this conversation is about, to uh, really improve what, what, what it's all about, because I, I think you know that STEM is integral to our society. Yeah. We can't, uh, you're listening to this on a podcast. <laughs> these did not exist 10, 15 years ago, right? right? How does that digital nature of these podcasts work? This is all STEM. And so science and technology and engineering drive our society. So if you don't even plan to go into STEM, you still have to understand what's going on. Maybe not understand how your podcasts work, but certainly going to the doctor's office to understand, do I really need to get this flu shot? Are these organic eggs really that much better for me than these other eggs that aren't listed as organic? Those are all decisions that public people in the public have to make. We also have to vote on important issues yeah. like water quality and air quality. And so these, uh, even if you don't become a STEM person, these are really important. But, you know, the, the, the employment that out there is right now is really in STEM as well. There's lots of employment. But you do as a learner, as a person, as a human being, you do have to be prepared in order to take those jobs. So there's good jobs out there, but they're STEM-related. But you don't have to be interested in STEM. STEM's still really important for your everyday life. And that's what CREATE's all about. It's through research or innovation through trying to, and then not only just doing something, but then figuring out, does it really work in the classroom? Through investigation, so we investigate, and then we try to inform 
the rest of the world about what we're doing. So that's what Create's all about. It's to improve the teaching and learning of, of STEM through uh, innovation, investigation, and informing the public about what's going on. And Joe, has the STEM curricula not been taught as well in the in the past, or because it's so becoming more and more important in our technology-based world, is, is STEM just more important, thus needs to be taught better? You know, um, there's always been a chosen few in our society that um, like STEM or they were driven externally to be uh, going to STEM. But for the most part, uh, come junior high, kids lose interest in STEM. And so the, the fallout uh, as we get towards high school in chemistry and physics is just tremendous. Very few percentage of our kids have always taken, have never taken uh, physics. It's probably one of the lowest uh, classes, lowest enrollment that's out there. And But it's so important for our world, right? Understanding energy, understanding forces, understanding how digital technology works. These are critical ideas within the the within physics and very few people really understand energy right i mean should we invest in our nation to build trains that run across our country is that really going to make a difference in air pollution or do we stick with our cars that are gas driven right what works better that, that's a question that's rooted in physics and do these um trains that sort of float above the track are they really that much better for us i mean i would argue yes but those are decisions that every human being has to make and uh, it's related to understanding physics. And very few, uh, very few high school people go into physics. It's just not an area that's hardly motivated. A little bit more going to chemistry, but still even in chemistry, we lose um, people going into to that field. And so this project that, that, I'm, uh, that I'm here to talk to you about today uh, with my good colleague here, Barbara Snyder, uh, who's also in the College of Education with me, that project is all about how can we really craft engaging science environments really to promote students' learning in chemistry and physics. Uh, interesting enough, we, this is a joint project between the, the U.S. and the Finnish government. Now, I think many of you may have heard about Finland and how they score really high on international science tests, PISA, for instance. And this is true. They do really well. Interesting enough... They do extremely poorly when it comes to kids' motivation to continue to want to learn science. Mm. And that's why we're joining efforts, right? So their nation, and you have to realize Finland, it's actually bigger than the state of Michigan uh, size-wise, area-wise. But population-wise, we're pretty similar. And you have to stop and think, if you, if you have a, a society that, that has a population about the size of Michigan— and you decide your children aren't interested in going into science, who's going to run your society, yeah. right? You do, you do need people to run your society. So Finland is really concerned with really having talented uh, children who really want to continue going in science. Uh, and so they were worried. And so we joined forces with Finland to try to figure out how do you really support kids and getting really interesting bringing that wonderment back into learning science, really wanting to do it. Because if you don't have that wonderment, if you don't have that drive, you are not going to spend the time trying to figure out what's going on. Because they are challenging. They're, I'm not going to deny it, right? Learning chemistry, talking about the things that are going on in the micro world, understanding all the complexities of energy transfer. Those are challenging ideas, right? It takes it takes intellectual effort. And you're not going to spend that intellectual effort unless you yourself 
are really motivated to do it. So the challenge that my colleague Barbara Snyder and my two really good colleagues in Finland, Yari and Katarina, took up is how do we create challenging learning environments to really support kids in learning the big ideas and the practices of science. That's what that's what we're all. That's what that's this project was all about. And Joe, what is next generation science standards, and how does that fit into the research? Sure. Um, so, about in nineteen, let's see, it came out in two, about in two thousand and ten, our nation underwent an effort to try to really think deeply about what is what it is that all kids really have to know K through twelve in science education. And what I say our nation, it wasn't funded by the federal government. This is not a federal government uh, concern. This is actually funded by the Carnegie Foundation through the National Research Council, uh, which basically often holds um, sessions where they bring together scientists, policy people, the public, the truly to delve deeply into issues. And so they had one of these studies to try to figure out what is it that every kid in our nation should know and be able to do. Uh, the, what, the, a book was released called, the, a consensus book was released called The Framework for K-12 Science Education. And I say it's a consensus document because the document that was produced was sent out to various organizations like the National Science Teachers Association, the Physics Association, the Biological Association, to different um, state governments for them to get their approval but, uh, of, this, of this work. But the important thing is that, is that the National Academy of Science also gave its stamp of improvement. And now, if, if you know anything about being a scientist, you know, to be in the National Academy <laughs> is quite an honor. And so these are the people who are in our, in our nation making a big difference in science. And so they said, yes, the stuff that's in here is what all children need to learn by the time they end 12th grade. So given that doc, and I was fortunate actually enough to be on the committee that wrote, what are the big ideas that are supposed to be, that all kids in physical science should really know? I was actually the chair of that committee. My background is actually in physical science. And given that document, so they came up with what were the big ideas in physics, physical science, biological sciences, earth and space sciences, and engineering. Plus, what is it that scientists do, right? The, yeah. the practices of science. So that document, was then, uh, sent, uh, that document was then used to create what was called the next generation of science standards. And what, what that committee did, which I was, again, fortunate to serve on, was to say, look at, and, and this was based on the recommendation that came from the uh, framework for K-12 science education. It said that standards have to be phrased in a way that kids use their knowledge. And so we have a, a totally brand new set of standards that are an integration of, of a scientific practice and the big ideas of science, plus these ideas called cross-cutting concepts that sort of cut across various disciplines about kids actually being able to use their knowledge. So it's not just that kids will understand uh, the particle nature of matter, but kids will be able to construct a model to show that when matter changes it undergoes some kind of change at the structure at the molecular level, right? It's a totally different type of standard. And our nation right now is involved in an effort to try to figure out various states. Many states across our nation either adopted or adapted them. 
I don't have the exact numbers. Yeah. And not all states have, but a fairly large number. So states in our nation, and Michigan was one of them, by the way, that adapted, adopted them, are trying to figure out what does this look like in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? So when you have a standards that says kids will uh, develop uh, an evidence-based explanation to show how uh, human impact has influenced climate, right? What, is, what does that kind of look like in the classroom, right? It's a, it's a very different kind of standard than we had in the past. And so researchers uh, in our federal government now is, is involved in saying, what does this look like? If these are standards that the nations are is, is, uh, adopting or, or adapting, what does it look like in the classroom? What should we do? And so that's why we got this, this particular grant with the Finns to try to figure out how do you create these kind of engaging environments? And we take as our starting point that kids have to be able to meet the next generation of science standards. Finland has a very comparable set, right? So we call our standards performance expectations because kids are supposed to be able to do something with the science ideas. The Finn call these things uh, competencies. And, but eat both nations... And the big ideas, of course, if you're sci- the big ideas of science don't change if you're in Finland or if you're in the United States. Yeah. So they're they're uh, very similar, right? Our focus on energy, our focus on the particle nature of matter, our focus on evolution and genetics uh, and, and gene environment interaction. Those are consistent across the two nations. So it's uh, been an interesting uh, effort to work with them uh, in these last six years. And Joe, you've touched on it throughout our conversation, but a little bit more about why is the STEM education so important? Why do we need to get more kids excited about it? And some people add the A for STEAM, the A is for arts. Are you an advocate of that as well? Once again, I think for citizenship, we all have to understand STEM, right? A lot of the genetic engineering stuff is really pertinent to people's lives, right? Uh, the genetic engineering of food, should I take a vac? Should I get a vaccination or not? Should I vaccinate my child? Should, uh, do we really have climate change, or is this just a, a little blip that always happens? Right? Uh, these are all ideas that, no matter what field you're in, understanding them are critical. Right? Yeah. Those. What does it mean to be to live in this society and make a, a judgment, and also understand that science is not just something that someone made up. Right? People have a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what we mean by theory. They think, oh, it's someone's idea. No, that's not true in science, right? In science, the theories that we have are supported by evidence. Now, they change as we get more evidence, but the fact is every, the, the, the ideas that we use in science are soundly supported by the evidence we have to that date. And that's why we've been able to make such great progress uh, throughout our nation and the world about, you know, help me- medication, uh, medicine in general. Uh, look at the buildings we can draw, build nowadays, the wonderful bridges. Those are all a result of constantly getting more new ideas about how science works. The digital technology has just exploded, yeah. right? Can you imagine carrying all these songs around and these little tiny things in the, our back pockets? Right? It didn't exist <laughs> 10 years ago, right? So this is all science uh, that's related to everybody's life. But we also need scientists, people who are trained in STEM, to do a lot of wonderful technology jobs uh, and create the new technology, right? So it's both, you, we need power, people power to drive the technology. 
you're not going to walk in and work on an assembly line anymore because we got robots doing it technology. But the robot breaks down, someone's got to fix it. That's a technician. And you, you're not going to fix the robot unless you have a lot of science training. You know, when I was um, a kid, I could take a car apart all the time. Yeah. Nowadays, <laughs> right, it's impossible, <laughs> right? The technology that's in a car, right, is impossible. So you have to know some things about, you know, if you're even going to be in the work of the car industry and the, as a mechanic, you have to understand technology and how things work. So it's fundamental uh, both as a citizen to get good jobs and also to create new products and new innovations in our world. So at all levels, I, th I think STEM education is really critical. Yeah, as I'll have to tell you, I am a science educator. I've been a science educator my whole life. I started off teaching high school chemistry for a number of years. I first heard of STEAM when I was in South Korea. I had a sabbatical in South Korea. And to this day, I'm still trying to figure out what that A means. <laughs> uh, I think we're getting, you know, some people want to say it's art. Some people want to relate it to design. Um, certainly design is really important in engineering and, and in science. You have designing stuff all the time. Uh, and I love art. Uh, I mean, <laughs> so, so I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it, uh, it's unclear in the field, at least from my perspective of, of what it means, so. And we've been talking about it throughout the conversation, Joe, again, but more of what you're finding in your research and what are what's next, what do you want to pursue next? Sure. So the work that Barbara and I, along with Yari and Katarina, and I have to mention that we couldn't do all this work if it wasn't also for all the very talented uh, postdocs yeah. and graduate students that work with us, right? So I've been using Barbara and Katarina and Yari's name, but I have to tell you, without some of the brilliant postdocs that we have with us and their commitment and the graduate students' commitments to really want to make a difference, uh, we would never be able to have this, right? So I, do want to, I, I did want to bring that out Good. to sort of see how, see how important they are. So what we're doing is we're trying, right now what we're really trying to do is how do you create these engaging learning environments? And we've actually, uh, we took a perspective of trying to use what we call project-based learning, which really engages kids in instruction by answering questions that are anchored in phenomena that kids might find interesting. Certainly not maybe as dull as you might have gone into a something that's more motivating than what's there in the past. I'll, I'll give you one example, for instance, and I'll do it because I'm a chemist. Uh, in chemistry classes, if it's high school, or if it's college, you're always studying the periodic table, but that's what you're doing. We're gonna study the trends in the periodic table. Well, that's motivating, right? <laughs> now, if, you, Ooh, if, boy. if you're a geek like me, if you like science, chemistry, you might find that interesting. But uh, most high school students say, okay, the periodic table, you know, I think it's something, they think it's something they have to memorize. I never memorized the periodic table. I, I learned it by using it. And so that's one of our approaches, by the way, using ideas, not just memorizing ideas, but using the ideas. But instead of saying to children, we're going to study the periodic table, what we do is we pose them a question. You eat table salt every day, isn't it? Yeah. True, right? right. Sprink, we sprinkle it on our food. It really is a wonderful enhancer of flavor, right? No problem. But it's made up of these two things, sodium and chlorine. I don't know if you know anything about chlorine, but you take a little tiny piece of, uh, I'm sorry, sodium. You take a little piece of sodium, you drop it in water, it explodes, <laughs> right? Chlorine, you know that we don't want to be around it because it causes us to 
it's like a burn. It reacts with our skin and everything, right? So, so you take something harmless that actually enhances the flavor of food, and it's made up of these two products, these two reactants, sodium, which is explosive, and chlorine, which is deadly to us. How come? How come, how come you can take something like sodium and chlorine, they can react together or mix together, or actually re- react together, and form something that's harmless? So how come I, So instead of driving a unit by the period, we're going to learn about the periodic table. We'll say, you know, we're going to figure out why sodium chloride is safe to eat and sodium and chlorine are not. Mm. So all our projects, remember, so we're involved in project-based yep. learning, are driven by both a scenario and kids experiencing these phenomena. You know, it's very simple. You have a little plate of sodium sodium chloride. Kids can taste it. They know what it tastes like. And then the teacher demonstrates what happens when I take a piece of sodium and I throw it in water. Well, kids love it because it explodes and fizzes around and bursts into flame. And so the this is sort of our catcher to say, okay, why is that? Why can you eat sodium chloride but you can't eat sodium? What's going on here? And so that's some of the work that we do. Uh, this past year, last year, actually last academic year, 2018, 2019, we did uh, a relatively large, what's called an efficacy study. And what that means is that we actually had students who were involved in using our materials in chemistry and in physics. And we worked very closely with the teachers, right? You can't just hand these new materials off to teachers and expect for them to really understand. It's different. It's different than the way I was taught. It's different than the way they were taught. And so we do long-term professional learning to support the teachers in actually doing this kind of work. So we we took our control, our treatment group, which were, were our teachers who had this professional learning and who also have the materials and kids have the materials, and we uh, compared them on a summative assessment with control kids who also have the same subject matter, right? It's not like the kids did not study the periodic table or they did not study forces and energy. They studied the same topics. And we gave them a, 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 par, a, a summative assessment that was developed by a third party, actually are the Michigan Department of Science, uh, Michigan Department of Education in preparation for the new Michigan uh, science test. And kids in the treatment group outperformed significantly and substantially kids in the control group. Now, that's an amazing finding, and it's also an amazing finding that we sort of parsed out the, the, the group based upon a pretest. So we had kids who were sort of in a lower, uh, lower third, middle third, and high third. And no matter what third we looked at, the kids in the project-based learning outperformed the kids in the treatment uh, control, I'm sorry, kids in the control, substantially and significantly. Now, this is a big deal. Why? Because kids typically who go in the chemistry or physics are kind of at the top of the cream already, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a filter there. So even though you, we have this filter and we, con- we match the kids so that there were, you know, the treatment group was not biased to having more motivated, higher uh, intellectually driven kids, they were matched the kids in the treatment group outperform the kids with the PBL outperform the kids in the control group. Interesting enough, Finland did a similar kind of uh, experiment, and they have very similar results mm. that we do. Quite an amazing finding, not only for what should happen in our schools in the United States in chemistry and physics, and I would generalize to all sciences, but also what should happen 
across the world, like in Finland and stuff. Yeah. Well, Joe, the uh, the book that's chronicling some of the early findings in your research is called Learning Science, The Value of Crafting Engagement in Science Environments. Summarize for us the key takeaways from that book you'd like us to get. Sure. In that book, we uh, talk about our treatment, which is project-based learning, and we try to support teacher leaders or policymakers in what that actually means. What does it mean to engage kids in project-based learning? And we have a fairly robust uh, theory ab- about it. I already explained one of them about trying to come up with interesting scenarios and phenomena that can actually drive student learning. Uh, but we also talk about other features like the importance of really getting kids engaged in investigation and using evidence to support their claims because that's an important part of what it means to be science. We also, uh, in, that, in that book, talk about the importance of teachers trying to support kids working together to sort of make sense, right? How do we get you and others in the class to dialogue with each other about what does this mean, right? What, what does this data mean? And to try to make sense of it. So we, we explain our theory of project-based learning. We also provide um, some really strong data about how it really motivates children, particularly supporting their imagination and their social-emotional learning about uh, engaging in these kind of, uh, these kind of uh, efforts in chemistry and in physics classroom. Uh, unfortunately, the book was published before the, res- the beautiful results <laughs> of the efficacy study came out. I guess that means we have to write another book. There you go. But the book does uh, talk substantially about how it really engages high school kids in chemistry and physics and really want- wanted to get engaged. We provide example lessons of how we did this work. We have quotes from teachers about the value of this, of this product. So that, that's what that, that book is all about. You know, the United States is extremely diverse, right? Yes. We uh, extremely diverse, and we are a society that is made up of diversity, and we celebrate our diversity. And so Barbara and I are working at trying to get all kids, all children, all high school learners really engaged in the learning of science. So we're, we work in urban areas. We work in rural areas. We work in suburban areas because we're really concerned about all children really uh, being able to learn. And in fact, our work isn't only here in Michigan. We work in Detroit. We work in Grand Rapids. We work in central Michigan. So we're, all, we're through the state with our work here. But we're also in California because it's such a different yeah. population. So we're in Los Angeles public schools as well as uh, southern San Diego. And interesting enough, the, the, these materials work across these different – these children who have different backgrounds, right? The, uh, if, you're, if you're from a Latino family – uh, from south uh, in Southern California, you have a very different background than if you're coming from rural Michigan. And so uh, these materials tend to, our results indicate that kids are both driven uh, to learn more as well as the efficacy study shows that kids are able in all these various uh, environments really to learn more. So we're really excited about that. It's a really important part of our work to really try to support all children in learning because if we're really going to have a just society, we can't have those who learn and those who don't learn. We have to make sure everybody is learning because this, otherwise we're really saying you can have the jobs in technology and you can't. So our focus is really on supporting all learners and really trying to develop usable knowledge 
uh, of science, either if it's for their own everyday life or if they plan to go into a career in science. Well, Joe, thank you for telling us about your important research here on MSU Today Today. Thank you, Russ. It's it's a pleasure uh, being here and talking about this important work and chatting and meeting you. That was Joseph Krejcik. He's the Lappin Phillips Professor of Science Education with a faculty appointment in the MSU College of Education. He's the director of Create for STEM, which we've been discussing. That's a joint institute between the Colleges of Natural Science, Education, Engineering, and Lyman Briggs. Create's mission is to improve the teaching and learning of science and mathematics through innovation and research. More on the web at createforstem.msu.edu. That's the word create, the number four, and then STEM, S-T-E-M, createforstem.msu.edu. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.